0: Hello, boils and ghouls, and welcome to the first issue of Crypt Speakers. I'm your co host, Jay Tyler.
1: And this is Sessie Korea. Uh,
0: And we are here to walk you through the whole history of HBO's Tales from the Crypt. And that's very exciting. And I'm really excited to be doing this with my good friend Sessie. And we are going to have a fun time doing it. This is only for fun times only.
1: Fun times only.
0: Fun times only. Fun, spooky times. So that's kind of where I wanted to start it was um I had kind of floated to a couple people that I wanted to do this project, and Ceci, you were very excited to do this. I do not really have history with tales outside of being an adult. Like, so as a child, there were two issues with me being a real Tales from the Crypt fan. A, uh we never had HBO growing up. And B, I was a big chicken about horror stuff. Famously, I one time Uh, watched an episode of uh, are you afraid of the dark and had to sleep with the lights on. So that was sort of the level of horror that I was comfortable with. What is your familiarity or past or history with the series?
1: Um, I watched it as a kid for sure. Uh, And funny thing is I watched it. I mean, I grew up in Mexico as you know, Uh, Mm -hmm. and I watched it in Mexico and honestly, I can't remember if I watched it in Spanish or in English uh, oh, it must have been <laughs> it must have been spanish though sure uh, i think sense. just like just like on regular tv uh but it did come on very late um i have very fond i want to say memories of watching it i remember i remember loving watching the show and like looking forward to it but i can't tell you a single episode like i just right. don't remember it's been that long i must have been Less than ten years old, like I was really little. I don't know why my parents let me watch it. To be honest, mm-hmm. um, right. but honestly, I think I think that if you were a kid and you watched Tales from the Crypt, or even things like Are You Afraid of the Dark, shows like that, you're probably a horror fan now. Like I right. think it makes you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's this is interesting for me because I get to revisit a show that I loved as a kid that I remember with fondness, but I don't actually remember or know anything about.
0: Right. And so we, and we'll, we'll be diving deep into sort of the history of the show, as well as like individual episodes and kind of talking about the weirdness of it. But it's a really weird show. Like when you break down what it was like, so when you talk about like being like a, you know, a horror fan now, and I've developed into being more of a horror fan as I've grown older and out of my chicken ways. Um, but this show is really influential, which is interesting because it itself is sort of an ode to these old nineteen fifties comics that were influential for a lot of horror filmmakers in the seventies and eighties, and then this movie influenced a lot of current generation horror filmmakers and horror, you know, creators. Um, so I think it's a it's an interesting Rosetta Stone for understanding sort of the culture of of horror both before and after it in a lot of different ways. I guess that's interesting, um, too, because
1: if 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 the if the comics started and influenced filmmakers in the 80s, but then the show itself started making actual TV episodes in the 90s, then it's almost like a circular. I would assume that some of the episodes might be have might have been influenced by the filmmakers in the 80s. Right. So
0: right. No, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, definitely very, it's, it's a yeah. circular thing uh-huh and it's it's definitely one of those things where it's not it's not existing in a vacuum obviously it's not existing inside of this bubble where like other horror didn't exist it's existing it was made for and by people who love these horror comics love horror movies but are kind of not necessarily known like it's not like you have oh this episode is directed by Wes Craven this direct uh, you know one is directed by John Carpenter it's not guys that you associate with being like horror auteurs and we'll get into that but it's these guys who love these horror comics loved horror movies and wanted to make a show that paid honor to the comics and to the genre of horror as they understood it um so yeah, it's really interesting so let's let's get into a little bit of the history lesson. I promise it won't be too dry so in nineteen forty seven there was this comic book company called e c which stood originally for educational comics and then became entertaining comics, and they basically so um this guy William Gaines took over the company from his father Max, who had died, and his father Max had published like a bunch of like uh, biblical reillustration illustration books and had published like republished a bunch of like funny pages, which was pretty common for comics in the 40s and 50s. And when uh, William or Bill took over, he was like, "We're not doing that anymore. We're making crime comics and we're making horror comics." And he was really the first guy to ever make horror comics.
1: Wait. So and, they went from they went from Bible comics to horror comics,
0: right? Because uh, after uh, Bill took over from his father, so yeah, no, well, and oh, and wow. yeah, they they were the whole idea was that these were originally like educational, like had these sort of high moral fiber um, as a company, and then when Bill took over, he was like, yeah, I don't want to do that. I, you know, he was this. He had just come back from World War II. He was actually planning to become a, a high school science teacher when his father died and basically said, and in his will bequeathed this comic book company to him, he said, well, I'm not really interested in doing what my dad was doing, but I have always had this idea and like invented the idea of a horror comic book, basically of like wanting to put these scary stories into comics. And they sold like gangbusters. Like there was a huge success. They were really popular and they um, really revitalized the comic book genre. So like after world war two, a lot of the superhero comics that have been super popular up through World War II started becoming less popular. And what replaced them was a lot of these crime and horror comics. Like that really took over the market in the 50s. And then there was this book called Seduction of the Innocent by Frederick Witham, who uh, was, it was just this um, book that basically said, comic books are destroying our youth. And these horror comics were the main topic of his ire. And that saying like that video like, games today,
1: you,
0: exact like video games today, <laughs> like rock and roll would be, at, you know, a couple years later. No, Wortham really was like, no, these comic books are what's causing, causing juvenile delinquency. People are reading these kids are specifically are reading these comic books, getting these warped ideas and playing out the things that are happening in these comics in the real life. And so there were congressional hearings or all these things. And the comic books came very close to being governmentally like overseen. Um, and just like movies, what happened was the comic book creators also got up and said, hey, 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 you don't need to censor us. You don't need to control us. We'll take care of our own business. And they created what's called the Comics Code Authority, which said what couldn't couldn't be in comic books. And if, it, if you didn't follow the rules, you wouldn't get the seal on your comic books. And then they wouldn't be able to be sold through the traditional avenues. Well, all the things that they said, you know, that you can't have vampires, you can't have werewolves, you can't have gore, you can't glorify a life of crime. Like all these things that EC had been doing through the early 50s, they said you can't do that anymore. And it put EC out of business, um, basically. So he, he tightened up to just making Mad Magazine and then like, two years later, oh, basically sold Oh, just making rights.
1: Mad Magazine, though. Just
0: making Mad Magazine, yeah. No, well, I mean, that's, that's the other funny thing, is that, like, because they weren't really focusing on on comedy. So after Gaines couldn't make his horror comics anymore, he said, well, I'll make this humor magazine, which became hugely influential of, you know, comics throughout time. Bill Gaines is a really interesting dude in, a, uh, in comic book history. So let's flash forward a bit. So that's the 1950s. Now we're looking at 1989 there's this premium cable channel called HBO that's starting to get interested in making original content. Before that their whole gimmick was we show movies uncensored. We show, you know, we show you movies without any cuts, you know, you get to see, you know, nudity, you get to see violence, like anything that you normally wouldn't get to see on TV. Now you could through HBO and they said, "Hey, that's a great selling point. But what if we had original content that had the same mentality of like anything goes on, you know, you've never seen anything like this on TV. It's not TV. It's HBO, that whole thing of like them really selling. We are going to give you something that you can't see anywhere else.
1: Much so, like Netflix today.
0: Right. It very similar. Like the way that like different like avenues are like, Hey, we we don't have sensors. We, it's our own like programming block, so we don't we put out what we want to put out, um, and yeah, and and because you know we don't have commercials, we can have uncut programming. It's all these different things that so it's very similar to how uh, Netflix and different streaming uh, platforms work today. So here's a list of the people who end up being the producers of Tales from the Crypt because basically. These five guys got together, pitched HBO I'm like, we love these horror comics from the 50s. It's a bunch of boomers who have this real nostalgia for these horror comics from the 50s. They said, we think that this is the perfect, this is exactly what you're looking for. These gross sort of borderline amoral comics from the 50s. And we think we could make a show based on those that would fit exactly what you're looking for. And it's a really uh, uh, surprising group so it's richard donner who made the superman Mm -hmm. films walter hill who directed the warriors and produced the alien movies and directed our first episode that we're going to be talking about Mm -hmm. today joel silver big time action movie producer went on to produce the matrix movies and and probably the biggest name of the bunch of them robert zemeckis
1: yeah Uh, i noticed that too
0: (laughs) so robert zemeckis is definitely like now especially like you know this is he, so this starts between Roger Rabbit and Back to the Future 2 is when he's like is getting involved with, Tales, with uh, Tales from the Crypt. And then there's this other guy, David Guiler who is a um, Walter Hill sort of acolyte who was also one of the producers. But those are the five guys, Donner, Hill, Silver, Zemeckis, and Guiler, are the five guys who say, we think this show really could pop on your network because there are no rules. You can just do whatever, you know, Billy Gaines style. Um, I
1: like how so. Robert Zemeckis went on to create one of the most horrific films of all time um, called The Polar Express.
0: Right. Well, <laughs> yes, he, he 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 has made other uh, horrific images beyond just what we'll see here.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: I mean, Zemeckis, I think, is a really interesting guy to dig into. And I think that um, his episode is the second episode, which we're not talking about today. Um, but he, I mean, he may like the movie. The episodes he makes on this show are really interesting, really diverse, um, and super weird. Robert Zemeckis is a weird filmmaker because um, he he made, you know, Polar Express. He made Forrest Gump. You know, he he has a diversity and depth to his authorship that I think is really unique. Um, and I think digging into his uh, contributions to this uh, will be interesting. Um, the last thing I kind of wanted to say before we get into the first episode is one of the things I like about Tales from the Crypt is that it doesn't, so you know, there are a lot of anthology shows out there you know, and and these, the guys who are making this were definitely influenced by things like The Outer Limits and Twilight Mm -hmm. Zone and all that Um, but a lot of those, and like, you know, modern day we would think of something like Black Mirror but a lot of those shows have a central auteur that is kind of controlling the narrative and style of that thing, so like Rod Serling with The Twilight Zone or Charlie Booker with um, Black Mirror. Um, Or Jordan
1: Peele with the uh, revival of Twilight Zone.
0: The the new Twilight Zone, exactly. Like you have some guy who's at the head saying like, I'm in control of the quality of this thing. I'm in control of the tone of this thing. I'm going to make this all kind of work together. Tales from the Crypt really doesn't have that as far as I can tell. Mm -hmm. Uh, there, There wasn't one person who was sort of at the head of it saying this is what the kind of stories we're telling. This is the kind of thing we're going to be doing. It doesn't really have that, which is interesting as we're going to get into it more. Uh, that it's kind of all over the place. And there's some real great episodes and there's some not real great episodes <laughs> that'll that'll kind of crop up. Um but I like that diversity. I like that it's kind of a grab bag of like, here are a bunch of people who love horror, who love really getting nasty with it, um, but there's not like a unifying singular like vision of like this is what makes a Tales from the Crypt episode. Uh, So, with all that said, let's get into Walter Hill's episode number one, The Man Who Was Death.
1: Yes. So, this was a really interesting episode to get back into Tales from the Crypt after having not seen it for over 30 years, I guess. Um, Because, in my head, I kind of associate the show with very horrific... um, I don't know imagery or I I also remember it being funny and I remember laughing Uh, and this uh, this episode did not live up to my memories of the show I'm not saying it was bad (laughs) uh, but it was very different than what I remember liking the show for Um, Mm -hmm. so we open obviously with the Crypt Keeper uh, and he's uh, talking about mosquitoes. He has a big mosquito zapper mm-hmm. uh, and he's talking about how fleeting life is uh, as a mosquito kind of zaps uh, its way into that bug zapper. Uh, and then from there, we are taken into uh, the actual storyline. But one thing I thought about watching the opening is that we don't really have shows anymore with a host it seems to me that that was maybe mm-hmm. kind of a very 90s thing because it makes me think of it makes me think of the show it makes me think of um is it factor fiction the um the show Oh, with
0: uh um frakes on it who like just yes. like little intros and outros yeah yeah yes. no, i mean that that's definitely pulling from a very similar vibe i mean that's also something that's pulled from the comics like the the comics would have these people who would introduce the stories and then like have little outros that would go into the next one because they would have multiple stories within one issue. But yeah, like it, it it's, it's something like the only example I can think of is Jordan Peele and the new Twilight Zone. And that's just doing the Twilight Zone thing. Like it's not really. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. It's like you can think of the Twilight Zone uh, with Rod Sterling and then like I can't think of any other shows aside from Tales from the Crypt, and uh, I wish I could remember the name of the show now. Let's say uh, Factor Fiction. And, yeah. yeah, Factor was, Fiction. Ripley's
0: Believe It or Not Factor Fiction, I think was the full name of that yes. show.
1: Uh, so, and yeah, that one has a host as well, kind of taking you through, like, what kind of guiding you through, much like Will Smith will explain the the plot of the movie to you in a rap song. They mm-hmm. kind of also explain to you what you're about to watch and kind of put right. it in context and have this like frame in device and I feel like we don't have a lot of shows anymore, if at all with that format, so I found that really interesting um uh, just watching it, but anyway, we get into the actual story about this guy, uh Charlie Ledbetter, mm-hmm. who was on death row uh and I wrote extreme low angle because as uh, as you get into this like sort of like shot of like this jail and this guy um I guess about to receive the last rites before he goes to the electric chair it felt so 90s to me um mm. it also uh a little bit reminiscent of like that 1984 uh, ridley scott commercial like the lighting sure. is just very much of that period and the angles like just everything really screamed to me 90s film
0: it's something uh, that you definitely can tell that they thought a lot about shot composition and they thought a lot about how they were framing things like the opening scene is yeah Ledbetter like being walked to basically his death and it's just this, like, yeah, like low angle, tight, claustrophobic feel. Like it's it's very stylized in the way that it's.
1: Yeah, shown. it's not it's not bad. It's um, right.
0: it's uh, it's just very nineties. Like, like, yeah, it, exactly. <laughs> well, and it, um, and it, and it highlights that comic book feel almost. Like it it, it, yeah. it doesn't you you don't feel like you're seeing something that's really happening. And it, we'll get into it. But like the main character in this does not talk like a real human being like the way that he sort of talks about things we
1: will definitely get into that because one of the things that i wrote is i literally don't understand this guy (laughs) 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 um so so yeah uh we um start with that scene then we see this guy uh kind of talking uh and Telling us a little bit about, I guess, Charlie, and then telling us about himself, and it turns out he's uh, the executioner, or I don't really know what his job title was. Yeah, yeah, he's, um, he,
0: he, he's the guy who pulls the lever of the yes. uh, electric chair.
1: Which is interesting, though, because he kind of fancied himself an electrician, too.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, almost. Well, I think that, yeah, that, yeah, so... Niles Talbot, who who ends up being our main character, yeah, he kind of explains he used to be the electrician, and then when he like worked his way up to being this like executioner, like as if like what a weird
1: thing to work your way up to,
0: you know? Right, (laughs) right, like yeah, he had just been doing electrical, and then like they're like, well, we need somebody to flip the switch. He's like, I can do that, and like yeah, like clearly uh, enjoyed that job. (laughs)
1: Yeah, and. And he talks about how, you know, it. just as I'm thinking, oh, what a horrible way to die, uh, it's almost like the writers know that you're thinking and feeling that because the next words out of Miles' mouth are, you know, it actually is a really fast death. Like, it's supposedly, you know, your brain, I guess, fries, and then, like, you don't feel a thing afterwards. Uh, And he almost, he kind of makes it a point to um electrocute the guy turn off the lever and then like just do it again for good measure um Mm -hmm. and but yeah he he talks about how like it's supposed to be quick and painless so to speak uh but we'll get back to that Mm -hmm. and uh i wrote that this guy has a really thick thicc southern accent (laughs) <laughs> uh and I was just having a really hard time kind of understanding it because it felt really um forced.
0: Yeah. So I, I want to talk about this performance a bit. So this yeah, <laughs> the, the, the actor who plays this role is this guy, William Sadler, who I think is a wonderful sort of character actor who's um, done a bunch of stuff. Sure he is. He his what I most know him from is he is um, the Grim Reaper in the Bill and Ted movies. Um, but it's a wild performance from him. He's going real big, which I think yes. give, given the, the source material, I think works. Yeah. Um, like, I think he, he definitely is like leaning into what, what the script is asking of him. Um, but I want to, I want to run a couple of names here by you. So this is one of the things I learned in my research. Uh, so William Sadler was originally like just interviewing for a, a minor role in it in the episode. Um, but he but he when he got to the audition said, Hey, I'd really love to read for the main character. And Walter Hill, who directed this episode, said, Oh, you know, we got some other guys. We've got Christopher Walken and John Malkovich, who are gonna be potentially coming in to read for this role. But we'll let you audition. And he was so impressed by his audition that he he gave him the role. Over Walken and Malkovich. So right off the bat, so I I only want to highlight that. So right off the bat, they had really high ambitions of the people that they wanted to get on this Mm -hmm. show. Like they weren't, this wasn't slumming it. Like the whole idea of the show was we're kind of making the skeezy horror show, but we're going to have like A-list. Like we're getting, you know, Walter Hill and Robert Zemeckis to direct episodes. We're getting these big name actors to, you know, to show up for because it's just one off episode you don't have to get them and you can contract. totally
1: tell when the show started to take off and be really popular because as you start seeing uh, I was making my way through uh, I haven't watched anything beyond or rewatched anything beyond this first episode mm-hmm. but I started reading through episode lists and as the show progresses you definitely start seeing like really big name celebrities almost every week so it's almost like you can tell like oh this is the cool show to be on now and everybody wants to be in it
0: a hundred percent. There's a yeah. there's a one episode that is uh, directed by somebody who I did not know ever directed anything, and I was like, huh. So I'm very much looking forward to that one. But um, I think that it's. I'll just go ahead and say it now. There's an episode of the show that's directed by Arnold Schwarzenegger, whoa, which is crazy. <laughs> like he, I was like, is this the only thing he ever directed? He directed this and he directed one sh- uh, made for TV Christmas movie of all things. So anyway uh side side tangent aside but yes no like, problem no I, I just wanted to punch that that i think i like Sadler in this role but you're right like he it's a very forced accent it's he's, he's playing very exaggerated um but i don't think he's out of touch with like the tone he, that the episodes yeah going for one of
1: the things uh that my lovely spouse mentioned though speaking of uh big names is that if they ever remake this it's gotta be with matthew mcconaughey as the lead character sure i I think that that he would completely nail it
0: yeah yeah no i think Um, that, that 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 is a modern version of what uh sadler's going for here for sure and
1: as a segue into what happens next in the episode uh I wrote in my notes, uh, which I hope you appreciate. Uh, so this guy essentially like kills this dude, and I guess he's going to go off to grab some dinner, whatever, uh, have a night out in the town. Uh, so the next thing you see is, again, with the tight shots. Uh, it's actually mm-hmm. a really nice shot, though, of him kind of overlooking a bridge. And what I really liked about this shot is that it looks like any city USA because it absolutely looked like, to me, he looked like he was about to cross into 6th Street right here in Austin, Texas.
0: And we and we, uh, and, we, and we never learned where he is. Like, it's never really specified what state, what city, where he's at specifically.
1: Yeah, so it could be really anywhere. But literally, I wrote, like, this guy wearing a fedora, looking like he's about to hit 6th Street. Uh, yeah. he, <laughs> he definitely had a look, uh, mm-hmm. which I thought was really interesting. That it's like, okay, well, I'm done with work. Let me go go have a drink, or I guess he ends up going out for dinner uh, and while he's having dinner, he catches uh, a news uh, a newscast that says that death penalty has been revoked. Is that the right word? Overture. Right,
0: yeah. They're abolishing the death penalty. They're no longer going to be using the death penalty in whatever state he's in. Um, it's yes. been decided so, that it's not effective and that he's so he's effectively out of a job.
1: Exactly. Uh, so he kind of goes back, um, to I guess the jail, and he says, um, yeah. So I guess I don't have a job anymore. He's talking to the the owner of the jail. I don't know.
0: Oh, like the warden of the jail, or yes, like, Yes, yeah.
1: yes. He's talking to the warden, and he's like, "Yeah, well, I guess I don't have a job anymore. Uh, can I like do anything else?" And the warden is like, "I'll write you a recommendation," and I'm like, "What sort of recommendation can you write for an executioner? Like, he's gonna go and like work at Kinkos or something? This yeah. guy kills a really dudes great job real well. People?
0: Yeah, no, I, I I do love because he brings up because like his initial like plan is like, well, I'll just go back to being an electrician. And he's like, well, a, someone else has that job, and b, you can't be here because you, everyone here knows that you're the guy who." Yeah was killing people and so yeah, you've gotta go. It's bad for morale. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah just, he's that, literally that's, that's a no-go. like
1: Yeah, he's like, I'll sweep the floors, so I don't care. And they're like, nope. Uh so then he's kind of kind of uh down on his luck. Uh and he um I think he overhears again like some sort of like other newscast because this is the way that you do exposition in the nineties is just a bunch of news. Um, so there's one newscast where they talk about, uh, this bad guy gets let go due to a clerical error. Uh, I think it's really interesting because right off the bat, they paint this bad guy as like, he's a biker, so he's a bad guy, which I think is like, really? Like, I don't know. Feels really stereotypical, but I guess like, I can understand maybe that's kind of what they're going for. Well, actually, no, I... I don't know if I really know if that's what they were going for or or if we were just really bad prejudiced in the 90s. <laughs>
0: um well, I think so so he has this whole speech later on where he's just like saying, "Hey, I got nothing against bikers. Bikers, you know, they're they're into independence and they, you know, I've I've had my own bike, blah blah." Um I think, I can't remember what this guy, like, I think he is accused of, like, a hate crime or something. Like, he, I think he killed someone. He's a
1: bad guy. Yeah, absolutely. Right, right, yeah,
0: he did, he did something bad. And the judge basically says, we all know you did this crime, but because the paperwork is poorly filed, I have to let you go. Which, I I kind of want to get into some of the, like, the the political messaging of this episode, which I think is really, uh... A bit mealy-mouthed, because, like, I don't know, I I basically don't know where the writer and Walter Hill come down on the death penalty by the end of this episode. Because it's one of those things where it's sort of presented as, here's a deterrent for people to not get into trouble, but then it also is what drives this guy, Niles, insane, like, you know what? Re-
1: you know what series did this better? I just hmm. rewatched this recently. Uh, it was an episode of Star Trek: Next Generation.
0: I mean, Star Trek always does it better.
1: Yeah, and this is a, uh, an episode in season one. They go to a planet that is like a utopia. Obviously, Riker loves oh. it because there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, women wearing like short little like. Is this numbers, is this the one where Wesley like, like steps togas. on the flowers
0: and they're like, "Yes." Well, we have to kill you now because you broke a crime. <laughs> well, and, and, and any crime worth committing, or like if any cri- like death. if we're gonna kill anybody for any crime, we have to kill some everybody for every crime. And it's like that's crazy logic.
1: Yeah, it's like literally they only. They only have one type of punishment for any type of crime, and that's the death penalty. And that's why nobody commits crime, and that's why it's such a quote-unquote utopia. But what I love about that episode is that, literally, they're explaining this. Uh, Wesley goes off to play with the kids, and then the adults are talking. And that's when this comes up, and they explain that, literally any sort of bad thing you get the death penalty and as soon as they say that everybody's like wesley because they just know Uh, they know he did something (laughs) yeah so i think like i having watched that episode recently uh i was i thought that okay like this is i felt like that was a really good example of like talking about that as you know The death penalty as like a death deterrent or crime deterrent, and then this episode, which I felt like was once again very 90s. In that I feel like growing up during that time in the 90s and the early 2000s, there were a lot. There was a lot of discussion on the death penalty, and I feel like I haven't. It doesn't seem to be the the hot topic issue that it used to be back then, where a lot of people would debate it a lot. And that's kind of what I see in this episode is those old old conversations that I remember growing up about this topic,
0: yeah, I mean there i I have seen some chatter about you know amongst a thousand other things people are talking about right now there there definitely is some push to the death penalty as there always is, but you know we've got a lot of political issues to talk about in this country right now, so I think it kinda gets. Backburnered yeah. it a lot. But no, I I think it's and I think that this episode sort of takes this stance of like um like this th- this very outsized version of this but just one of those things where it's like there are people who sort of slip through the the you know justice system that there are people who get yeah. away with crimes. Um basically. And so what like what do we what do we do with that information? But also, like, what is the actual, um, you know, metric, and who gets to decide who dies and who doesn't? Yeah, I think that's sort of what this episode is really digging into: is this idea of like this guy who was who did not make these decisions. He literally was the guy who pulled the lever, but yeah, determines that he should be making that decision himself.
1: And, yeah, so to kind of get back into the the crux of the episode, Mm -hmm. um, so Miles sees this and he decides to take matters into his own hands and uh, kills Jimmy Flood, was his name, uh, by, I guess, wiring up a a barbed wire fence. Um, And the guy goes in and he's about to go open it and he gets electrocuted, kind of like Jurassic Park. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yes very, very similar
1: i i made a note that uh the newscast that then explains what just happened uh, called this guy a motorcycle hoodlum, hmm <laughs> and i just thought like okay they're really leaning into that um and then he starts talking to someone um about all of this stuff uh and they have a conversation about the death penalty uh or actually i think this might have been just kind of like his stream of consciousness throughout the show and he says something like oh people complain that it's only minorities who get the chair uh, yeah and then he, can we talk about this replies, racist
0: bartender that he's hanging out with yeah
1: yeah so yeah it's only minorities who get the chair and then his reply is they're pretty dark when i'm done with them What? Yeah.
0: Yeah, what a crazy, talk about a thing that you couldn't get away with uh, now. But like, yeah, like a crazy line, a crazy sentiment. Um, and it's, it's we, we skipped over it earlier, but he's talking to this bartender earlier. And there's a line he has where he says, they're treating you just like a guinea who just got off the boat. And it's just like, whoa, like, I think it's one of those things where. Niles is at, is acting at a certain level but he has this friend who's kind of almost like playing into his power fantasies and his sense so like there's there is definitely this like um, angry white man aspect to this story as well yeah
1: you know and then on you know having grown up in Mexico I don't know what you know some some things mean so I literally sure. have no idea what what being a a did you say a guinea
0: guinea i believe i also am not sure i believe that is a uh offensive term for italians
1: well i'm learning all sorts of things today Mm -hmm. um yeah i guess yes things like that are probably gonna just not even not even gonna notice because i'm like i yeah like if i didn't understand what he meant i'm just like okay
0: right Um, Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, yeah I no, guess. It, it, it's an offensive term for uh wow. like recently um immigrated italian yeah
1: so yeah i guess these guys are definitely very racist mm-hmm. um and not only are they racist but you know for a guy that works for the prison system he doesn't clearly he doesn't believe in like the systemic racism uh in the the system so uh, if anything he kind of supports it
0: right it's worth mentioning that charlie ledbetter at the beginning of the episode was a black person like so the episode opens with this black man being executed by this guy him getting fired and him just going on this rampage none of the other victims of his are black but it is significant to point out that ledbetter himself was black
1: yeah Um, So anyway, after that, uh, that very uh, upsetting exchange, uh, there's, I believe, another newscast uh, where um, some guy and his mistress, I guess, get off the hook for the death of the guy's wife. Uh, And once again, uh, Miles decides to go and take matters into his own hands. Uh, And I wrote... Hot tub naked time because uh, mm-hmm. the show was on HBO and you know you have to have your your requisite boob time. Right. Um, well, so I mean, we get somehow of,
0: I was gonna say we will get plenty of boob time later, but yeah, this is the, this is the first example of nudity on uh, *Tales from the Crypt* is this scene, yes, where they're having a little naked um, uh, hot tub time.
1: <laughs> so yeah, somehow he finds out where they live and he, I guess, figures out a way to try to. Rigged the hot tub, and honestly, couldn't tell if he was electrocuting them or just turning on the hot tub really, really hot.
0: I Uh, think he's like—I think all of his deaths are electrocutions. Yeah, are electrocutions because he's an electrician. Uh, That's why. Yeah,
1: well, that's why I was like, well, if he's an electrician, he could have potentially just turned it really, really hot. That's Um, fair. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it it was a little unclear to me if they were actually being electrocuted or like, okay, they were being cooked, but I didn't know how they were being cooked. Yeah. Uh um, so yeah, he he goes and kills these guys off. Um and there's some very uh very uh dramatic music while this happens. Um and
0: but- then he
1: decides to go to the strip club because I guess and this is where I think it's it, the the narrative kinda gets really interesting because up to this point there's been a very clear he watches something on TV, he goes and does something. But then all of a sudden, uh we cut to him going to a strip club and he starts talking about women. Uh and he says, I never had problems with women. I went out and just got them easy PC Japanese. What? <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, he has this yeah, he has this whole speech like Oh yeah. basically saying like don't be subservient to women. And and
1: the other thing that he says that I hated uh, is treat whores like queens and queens like whores because Mm -hmm. women can only be two things. It's like the same old, same thing of like, you know, a woman is is either an angel or a whore, uh, which I was like, oh, okay, fine. You know, fairly reductive type of thinking. um, have, and I'd it's like, like, okay, this is
0: the point where they, they they if there's any doubt in your mind up to this point that Talbot's a bad dude. Yes, this el- this obliterates that. Yeah, at this point.
1: um, And it, so it's interesting that from the beginning, they've tried to make you see things from his point of view. But the longer you start hearing his thoughts, the more you kind of dislike this character right um so he's there apparently to kill the head stripper uh and he gets caught trying to kill her at the strip club
0: but it's unclear if this is a woman that he has a past with or if he's just killing her because she is the head stripper and now strippers need to die because he's escalating and who he sees as being worthy of death
1: that Very well could have been his motivation. I think at this point, it wasn't clear to me what his motivation was. And what I thought was interesting from a pacing perspective is that we had essentially, uh, we spent a fair amount of time setting up the first and second kill. And then this one is almost like, almost feels like on a whim, it feels very fast. There's no setup to this one at all. Right. Um. So it it almost feel like either they were running out of time, or maybe they were trying to treat it as like an escalation, uh, where there was almost no lead up. Um, right.
0: And it's worth mentioning here, um, for folks who don't know, the show is only thirty minutes long, which I think you said was a surprise to you, like coming back to it. Yes, because I remember
1: it, it being like an hour.
0: <laughs> right. Well, right, because like time expands when you're younger. But yeah, like. B- this this all happens really quickly and yeah like yeah. when you kind of i think they know where they need to get to by the end it's kind of yes. telegraphing where it's going um and so yeah the, and they they do spend a lot of time like showing you like the injustice of these other two people and here it's just like he has this sexist you know, little speech. And then it's like, and now I'm going to kill that lady. And it's like, why are you killing that lady? We know why you killed the other two people. We do not know why you're killing this person.
1: Well, and what's interesting as well is that somehow the police caught onto him and were able to figure out that he was going to do this. So this also kind of murkies the water a little bit because then it must have been, it must have been something that she did that could have been traced to him. Sure. Um, so but anyway he gets arrested, gets taken to jail and it's uh they make it very clear that he uh that they are reinstating the death penalty for him and that he's going to be going to the electric chair. Right. Uh and what I think is really interesting is that he says I'm not like the other ones. Mm-hmm. Um which is um I think this is like a the concept of the other and otherism is a very common concept in horror films. Right. Um and especially to, um, from the perspective of people, people never think anything is going to happen to them. But also, people always think that they are the good, the good guys. They're, you know, even if they are doing bad things, people always think, well, I'm doing bad things, but I'm not like the others, or, you know, it's, um, I might have my reasons, or I just thought that that it was interesting within, this sort of um, specifically within this storyline
0: mm-hmm. um, well and, and there's that there's this echoing of like at the beginning when Ledbetter's dying he's you know doing the traditional thing of like saying oh the governor's gonna call you know just wait a little bit longer wait a bit longer and at that point Talbot says you know oh they always say that and the governor's yeah. gonna called and the end of this episode is him doing the exact same thing of basically saying you know I'm not like them I'm different the governor's gonna call you'll see yeah I'm, I'm gonna get to go free. like he's still is. he's doing the exact thing that we saw the man of the, like at the end they're the exact same
1: yeah it, well and it's it's not just that but it's also i think this like this thought that i often see in people like miles who are very uh quick to judge other people uh that it's okay to excuse themselves, but they are very quick to judge others on what they're doing. Um, I wish that I had better examples, but it's something that I see a lot in in people that kind of are people that try to take matters into their own hands, that they kind of fail to see that irony that they are just as bad as the people who they are seemingly judging. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah.
0: The, their lack of sympathy ends up being unjustified by the narrative itself.
1: Um, so yeah, and then also to sort of mirror what happens earlier, um, the new executioner does the exact same thing, where you know he pulls the lever, electro- electrocutes, smiles, and then uh, stops the the current. But then he does it one more time uh i guess just for just to be sure uh mm. just like miles did at the beginning um, and yeah i think uh the last words there were what a switch which i thought was hilarious <laughs> uh when we when we get back uh with the crypt keeper and he kind of does the little sign off and really thinking back on it i feel like i remember really loving the show because of the crypt keeper but he's really not in the show for all that long. Is, right. He's maybe like three minutes tops.
0: He's definitely he I mean, he's the mascot of the show for sure. Like he he is sort of the thing that like if you're gonna grapple onto anything that is the uh key thing like if you're walking away from an episode of For Tales of the Crypt, the thing you can remember is the Crypt Keeper. But yeah, he's in it for maybe, yeah, two minutes. He's like a minute at the beginning, a minute at the end. Um he does electrocute himself a bunch of times with the electric chair at the end and that's <laughs> yeah. fun seeing the puppet jiggle around
1: yeah and i think that's another thing that i appreciate from this show is that they're not using cgi which of course they couldn't uh back in that time but i feel like you know if there was a revival there would be a mm-hmm. good chance the cryptkeeper would be cgi he's a great appreciate puppet the, yeah, yeah I, I do appreciate that he is a puppet Uh, and then another one last note that I made Uh, as soon as the credits started rolling is of course the music was Danny
0: Elfman of course it was
1: <laughs> literally I turned uh to my spouse and we both were like saw his name and we were like of course yeah
0: well, awesome. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that this is. Um, we'll we'll kind of get into our final ranking here in just a second, and I and I have a system here that I haven't even talked to you about. I, I want to see what you think about it. Um, but yeah, I, I overall, I think this first episode really sets a interesting tone. Um, it was far more uh, social and political than I was anticipating. It has a, yeah. it had had a lot that it was really digging into. Um, But yeah, like you said, pacing issues, whatnot. Um, So I have three categories here. um, And do you, so every episode I'm going to submit that we give every episode, one of these three uh, categories. One would be keeper, which is a, you know, one to keep a good, a good episode. One's a thinker. One that you have to have like. Hmm, I don't. I don't know how I feel about that one. I have to come back to that and think about that one. Or is it a stinker? Like, nope, this one's bad. We're not going to stick with this one. So keeper, thinker, or stinker? I'll go first. Um, I think this one's a thinker. I I don't like. I don't think it knocked it out of the park. I think it has some interesting things going on. Um, but I think it also, its message is muddied, and I think the pacing in the final act really causes like wait like wait what 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 like and I, and it's not you know tales from the crypts both the comic and the show are known for having twist endings i don't think the end of this one's very twisty it's just it's sort of like the natural conclusion of how the story can go um that this guy takes stuff into his own hands and then ends up having the fate that he himself delighted in before
1: yeah you know honestly i the only reason that i would say this is a keeper is because it's the first episode sure but i i really lean more towards saying that it's a stinker for me because, oh really <laughs> yeah it's i just didn't find the story interesting sure and for me as a horror fan i want to feel scared
0: yeah but, all. i will say- this is not a. This is this is a weird first episode because it's not especially like horror story. Like I said, EC was known for making horror and crime comics, and I would describe this as more of a crime story than a. Yeah. Than a and horror even if it story. was a
1: crime story, it's got to be interesting. And sure. I just don't find this interesting.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: and I, I found a kind of cliche of you know Absolutely. executioner who continues to sort of be an executioner. The only thing that I found interesting, the only little morsel that I thought was interesting was the idea of, okay, you're an executioner and then you're out of a job. What do you do? Mm -hmm. Um, I found that a little bit interesting, but they
0: don't really explore it. Right, I was about to say the show does the episode doesn't really explore that because you don't like you never you don't see um, Talbot going to like job interviews or anything. You just see him hanging out with his racist bartender friend and going to kill people. So they don't really even explore that to the full extent that they. Could. Yeah, like, okay. and
1: like I realize I realize that they have a limited time, but I feel like mm-hmm. if the story had been this guy who used to kill people loses his job and is kind of having this existential crisis uh, or crisis over it, then. Uh, I would have loved to explore that. I feel like that would have been much more compelling to me than just, oh, he sees that, you know, these people are uh, walking away uh, scot-free from whatever they did, and he takes Madison to his own hands. Like, it just... It, that was not necessarily um, if appealing to me or engaging. Like, um, yeah, it just... it it wasn't anything that I hadn't seen before.
0: Sure. Yeah. Totally. totally. But I do Um, feel
1: like I'm sure that there's, there's better episodes out there. Uh, Obviously, you know, the first episode in a show is always, (laughs) it's always
0: difficult. I hope there are better ones out there for you, Sessie, because if (laughs) we're doing 96 episodes of stinkers, I think you're going to resent me for making you do this. No,
1: I, I think that there are better ones. I feel like, I feel like, there's got to be. Yeah. Uh, and it actually made me think of a really interesting first episode of uh, a great show that we talked about earlier, which is kind of, quote unquote, in the same vein, which is Black Mirror. Because yeah. a lot of people don't like the first episode of Black Mirror because it goes too far. But I think <laughs> I think uh, much like the the guys in Futurama who are discussing taxes, I don't think it goes far enough. Sure. Uh, um, because what it does, uh, I do think it goes quite far. Let's be frank. Uh, but I think that what it does is that, like, you watch that first episode, and if you are disgusted and you don't want to watch anything, uh, you know what I mean? Like, then you just it's, the series is not for you. You know right. what I mean? It's a it's a smokescreen to me. It, it definitely uh, that's is, how like, I sets, feel about it.
0: It sets this boundary of like, look, if you're not game for this. Then get out now, rather yes. than you know, and and yeah, like I wouldn't rank that as one of my favorite Black Mirror episodes, but definitely as a statement piece of like this is what the show is, and I and I don't know if you can say that about this episode. I don't think this episode really like yeah functions as a a um, statement piece. It is exactly. worth It is worth noting that when the show premiered, there was double build with this and the next one, um. So they played back to back originally, uh. So. Uh, i
1: bet you the next one's better
0: well the next one's by uh bobby z so we'll we'll have to see uh how that goes but that's for another time kitties uh so i want to say thank you you listener you out there with your earbuds right now uh thank you so much for listening to this if you enjoyed this please come back next time please tell your friends if we're on apple Podcasts, use that thing to tell folks about us Um, I also want to say a big thanks to Molly Fancher for our theme song, Mr. N. You can find them on Bandcamp and throw them a couple bucks. Uh, Ceci, do you have anything you want to plug for today or anything like that?
1: Ah, hmm. I don't have a SoundCloud, so I don't know.
0: <laughs> You're not dropping what, any hot mixtapes. What tapes. if
1: we just plugged a movie, a horror movie that we like that we recommended?
0: Okay, th- okay, that's that's a that's a great choice. Uh, so uh, yeah, why don't you give me a horror movie recommendation?
1: Uh, yeah. So when you were talking about uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger earlier, uh, it reminded me of this great horror movie I saw recently, starring his son Patrick Schwarzenegger. Uh, the movie is called uh, Daniel Isn't Real, and it's available on Shutter, and it's really, really good. I highly recommend it, and uh, Patrick Schwarzenegger just gives an amazing breakthrough performance. Uh, I would watch it just to watch him. He really is uh, awesome, and it's a, it's a fun movie.
0: All right. Um, well, I am going to recommend a movie called Anything for Jackson, uh, which is it's a movie um, – Uh, It's a Canadian horror film that I saw a couple uh, months ago as part of a horror film festival. Um, And it's about a pair of um, older people whose um, grandson has died um, and they happen to be Satanists. And so they have this ritual that they have to perform to resurrect their uh, dead grandson. And it goes um, expectedly horrible. Uh, So... You can check that out. i believe it's on amazon prime i'm not sure where else you would find it but uh it's anything for jackson good flip awesome uh but with that um i think we're going to call it a day and we will see you next time on crypt speakers bye bye